ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Which means we are back. That means we're live. Live for another episode of Peaks Week. We're back cut with out. a week off because we're useless. <laughs> no, to be fair, it was, a, it was a good excuse. Little Huxley. Yes. He, uh, how is he's he? he's a not so little, uh, <laughs> but uh, he yeah. So Friday he went in for the chop, uh, got the chop, had a really bad reaction to the anti-inflammatories, which is apparently to do with the uh, reduced blood flow to the gut during surgery, uh, and then hammering it with heavy anti-inflammatories immediately post. Uh, and he just fucking spewed and shit everywhere for two days. He lost mm. like four kilos, like 10% of his body weight basically in three days and was just feeling pretty miserable, I think. But he's yeah. on the mend. He's uh, eating again and, and all of that sort of stuff and looking happy and engaged and stuff. So it's good. Uh, but As happy as you can be when you've had your balls chopped off. Yeah, well, that's. I think the gastrointestinal distress was probably enough to distract him from that, but I'm sure <laughs> at some point soon he's going to re realize that um, he does indeed not have balls anymore. Do you think they know? Do you, th I, do you think they know that they're missing? I have spent a bit of time thinking about this um, because it's an interesting thought experiment. Uh, because we don't understand what we barely understand what human consciousness is. Mm. So, uh, figuring out what consciousness looks like in a dog is, is hard. I know a lot of people, myself included, are guilty of, um, 
anthropomorph anthropomorphizing uh, animals a bit too much, like mm-hmm. treating them like they have human emotions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not an excuse to be a cunt to your dog, but, uh, yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, no, I mean, like, the line is, is blurry between, like, because you can obviously see when an animal is, well, when some animals, especially dogs, are happy or sad or in pain. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can obviously see that. And it's like, yeah, how, uh, where is the line between, you know, uh, what we feel as emotion and what they feel as emotion and just, it'd just be so good if they could just tell us yeah yeah man it's um it's what makes the movie uh up so cool that that guy that invents a collar that translates uh dog thoughts yeah i've always been fascinated by that concept that'd be really weird <laughs> yeah uh, don't talk about that movie it's the only movie i cry in <laughs> for an emotionless robot you're an interesting uh, interesting example of emotion in certain spots. Look at you crying already. <laughs> so I'm, Thomas. I made Sarah do a Lord of the Rings marathon recently because uh, she'd never seen it. And of course we watched the extended edition. Um, and so like 15 hours later, you'd finish the first movie. We didn't do it all long ago, but good. Uh, <laughs> we spread it out. But uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big uh, fantasy and Lord of the Rings fan. I think uh, the technical term is nerd. Yes, exactly. Um, and anyone who knows the ending of Lord of the Rings knows that there's about 400 endings and each of them ripped my heart in, in, in pieces. And I was trying really hard not to show that I'm a human, but it was, uh, I was struggling. Uh, we all falter sometimes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know what I think? I, I think Frodo would have had a much easier time getting the ring to Mordor where he adequately caffeinated. <laughs> Ideally, with uh, some <laughs> delicious prism coffee. Which... I, didn't, I did not know where you were going with that, but that was the smoothest segue in the history of segues. <laughs> which, as a bonus, you can get for 10% off if you use the code PeakSpeak uh, on their website, Prism Coffee Co. Check it out. Uh, I got a bag of, uh, I think it's Whoosh Whoosh, the new stuff that came in. I'm yeah. excited to try that. Is there uh, one called like Hakuna or uh, I, I asked for a, a different bag than I've only had the taxi so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So their single origin stuff, I think rotates a little bit. The one at the moment they've had before and have brought back, but I haven't actually cracked it open yet. I might take it camping with me this weekend. Um, I'm going to look up exactly what I ordered and you can tell me what you think of it. Uh, sorry, Rakira. Oh yeah. So Rakira is the one that I often use for um, like pour over black coffee. It's delicious. I haven't experimented as much with it with milk, uh, but for yeah, like a a pour over filter style black coffee, it's delightful. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, So now that we've sold our souls to the coffee gods, in the smoothest possible way we're going to talk about some squats i believe yeah yeah a couple of a couple of episodes ago we did the whole bench thing in fact i think i think we spent two or three episodes doing it and mm. it, it got a it got a good response um yes so, it did uh, we thought we'll do this for all three lifts over the course of time and uh because we uh weren't quite prepared for our other subject which will be great <laughs> once we prepare it will be a good episode i'm excited about that um, yeah, we thought we'd just uh, talk about what we can talk about off the cuff, which is squats. Mm, I can I can talk about squats for a while. 
So I thought, um, uh, you know, with, with bench press, I, uh, I mentioned that uh, the zero system works on this predication that, you know, uh, we are all the same animal. We're all a human animal. We all have shoulders. We all have hips. We all have torsos uh, and the function of those things. The structure of those things is the same, despite us being uh, different shapes and sizes. Uh, so the zero system is kind of built on that assumption. And uh, within that, there are certain biomechanical rules that apply to everyone. So the, the classic example of a biomechanical rule that I use is breathing and bracing because pretty much every strength coach that teaches a squat or a deadlift in some capacity is going to be teaching people to breathe and brace. They see that as a fundamental, even though these people are all individuals. Uh, so the, the three rules that I, that I preach when it comes to squats, rule number one in any of the three lifts in the zero system is where does the power come from? Uh, in the squats, uh, I would say that the power comes from the muscles of the legs and hips. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be happening with the hips and with the pelvis to satisfy that rule. And say so that rule number two is breathing, bracing. Uh, and rule number three is what's happening uh, to facilitate the transfer of power to the bar via the upper back and thoracic spine. Uh, so hips, core, upper back. Those are the three rules that I build the squat around. Um, what about you? How do you look at squats? How do you start to rationalize then how you teach squats? What's it look like for Burley? So I, um, I think my view has shifted slightly on this in recent times through exposure to people like uh, Pat Davidson and stuff and just questioning my own bias around training for powerlifting versus training for anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, I, from a powerlifting standpoint, from a, I want to squat the most amount of weight because it's part of my competitive uh, endeavors. I follow a very similar train of thought to yours um, because I think it's a fairly logical approach to things. You're looking at the system as a whole. It's, it's, it's a movement that the expression of that looks a little bit different, like you said, for each person, but ultimately your hip is your hip and your shoulder is your shoulder. Mm -hmm. uh, so from that standpoint, yeah, very similar uh, point of view. The interesting thing that I've sort of been exploring more recently is for training outside of the goal of just squatting the most amount of weight possible, thinking about it more as a movement pattern rather than an exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, and so thinking about, uh, the squat representing a predominantly vertical translation of the pelvis through space in comparison to like a hinge, which would be more of a horizontal uh, displacement of the pelvis in space. And, you know, like a traditional low bar squats, really a combination of those two things. And that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that it's wrong or bad or anything like that. It's just a different frame of reference to view the training process through. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's definitely uh, been useful for questioning my own assumptions around how I prescribe exercise more than anything else. Uh, and the idea that, you know, maybe that 40 year old woman who just walked in off the street, having not really exercised for 20 years, doesn't need to be working on a low bar squat for heavy sets of three. Maybe mm -hmm. she does, but you know, ultimately it's uh, I think helped me to put my own, bias the side for people that aren't just training for powerlifting because we don't i wouldn't say our majority of our lifters uh, or our uh, members are uh, sort of proper elite level or high intermediate level competitors they are predominantly 
closer to the beginner end of the spectrum. And so I think having a broader understanding of the pattern itself has helped me then just explain things to people better and teach people in a way that's a bit simpler and allows them to work hard sooner without spending quite as much time perfecting a skill. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to hear you unpack this a bit more because, um, you know, you say in recent times uh, that exposure to that Pat Davidson hinge versus vertical displacement model um, has, you know, uh, forced you to question your biases a little bit more, but, you know, even openly on this podcast and for as long as I've known you, um, well, not as long as I've known you, but certainly as long as I've been talking to you in depth, you've been doing that anyway. You've been you know, questioning your biases and, um, you know, acknowledging that not everyone is interested in, in, is interested or needs to have a heavy three rep max low bar squat. So what about that model has uh, changed what you were doing already anyway? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I can't pinpoint a particular piece of it. Yeah. The, it's more the way Pat and a few other people in that realm uh, are talking about exercise classification and framing how you think about training output. Yep. Uh, like I know Mike Israel in the same way because he's more focused on the aesthetic bodybuilding side of things. I guess for a long time I had not poo-pooed, but somewhat ignored that as an idea Mm -hmm. uh, because it didn't seem relevant to me at the time. And I have realized that it is probably more relevant than I gave it credit for, for a lot of people. Uh, And so it's not that it's like drastically changed my thinking or anything like that, um, but it has just caused me to pause for a moment on things like how I write training programs and how I deliver coaching cues and things like that, that I think have allowed me to uh, provide a simpler yet more complex approach to training, which doesn't sound right. But the idea is that. No, no, no. That sounds exactly right. Yeah, I get it. And so I, I think from my point of view as a coach, one of the things I'm trying to do less of is, say things <laughs> um, which which sounds counterintuitive but uh the more i can put someone in a position and this sort of expands on the ideas that we talked about in the queuing episode with like external cues and yeah. movement being an emergence uh an emergent property from a complex dynamic system uh i think that more and more my goal is to say the least amount of things possible Mm-hmm. Uh, and let the person in front of me figure it out. I think for too long, I was probably guilty of attempting to display my own knowledge and understanding rather than let the person in front of me actually learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that led to a over-reliance on stepwise approaches to teaching things rather than Uh, like the more constraints-based model of, hey, here's the exercise, here's what I want you to avoid doing it and sort of here's the constraints within which we are working. You figure it out. How did that feel? What did you notice? Those sort of things rather than like, hey, here's this barbell, do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would still lean on that approach for a more experienced person pursuing technical perfection and ultimately output because it's a skill that you have to know how to execute very efficiently. Um, But 
I've realized, I think that the percentage of people that actually need that is probably less than I thought it was. Mm. Yeah, no, makes, makes complete and total sense. Um, I can't remember if Will said it on the podcast or if he said this to me um, when we were talking in the gym the other day, uh, but he loves the way that the compound guys put it. And I, I cannot remember for the life of me, the actual um, categories that they split exercise into. Um, but I can tell you what the categories uh, are and what they mean. So one is like intensity, one is like hypertrophy and one is like movement prep. So you can have a squat yeah. that's intensity focused, a squat that's hypertrophy yeah. focused and a squat that's movement prep focused. Uh, and like you were saying, it's like the broader understanding you have of all these different uh, movements of all these different, uh, you know, subsystems as part of these movements, the simpler ultimately that we can make things because our understanding is complex. Just like, you know, doing a nutrition and dietetics degree and being able to say, you should eat this because of this, that's, you know, born of a really, really in-depth biochemical understanding of what's happening when you put that thing in your body. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think, yeah, I mean, that's, that's perfect. I, I feel much the same way. Uh, you know, I, uh, I probably err a little bit more on the side of, you know, strength training is my lane and that's the lane I tend to stay in. Um, yeah. and I'm totally comfortable with that. Totally happy with that. If someone wants something outside of that, I've got people I refer to it's simple as that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, with me as well, like I, I think a good place to start, um, you know, going a little bit deeper in terms of squats from a practical application for the people listening is starting to talk about hips, knees, ankles. Um, and, you know, what you just said around making things simple and saying less is so, so, so important because it removes so much of the bullshit that this industry is saturated mm. with. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of the a lot of the fixes, a lot of the, um, you know, uh, those uh, imagine, uh, amazing one-stop shop kind of fixes that have emerged in the industry in the last three to five years, the trends that you see come and go are as a direct result of not having that in-depth understanding of the movement and therefore not being able to unpack how you're going to fix issues that solve. So the classic, classic one I want to bring up is the industry's uh, foot fetish that kind of rose and fell over the last three or four years. It's not anywhere near as popular as it used to be, Mm. Uh, but there was this big foot fetish around fixing squats by fixing feet and being really obsessed with tripod feet and toe control and all of this sort of stuff, because it's like, if you exhaust all the options that you have and trying to get someone's hips and knees to do the right thing, keep going downstream. You're like, Oh, wait a second, that foot's doing that. We've got a little bit of ankle cave there. We've got a flat foot there. We've got toes that are doing a funny thing here. If we fix that, then upstream the problems are going to disappear, ignoring the fact that maybe those foot issues are a direct result of the instability and the problems that are, uh, you know, are existing upstream. So we get these red herring fixes where it's like, yeah, now you can like fucking uh, write the alphabet in the air with each of your toes individually, uh, but you still squat like shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things that uh, you've got to understand the concept of like relative motion and the idea that actually nothing in your body is really stationary as you're moving through a range of motion like that. And so the way your femur relates to your hip, the way then the rest of your knee joint relates to your ankles and all of those sort of things like it's not just a case of, Hey, fix this one thing and you open the door to everything else. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Mm. And I think ultimately 
the more I learn, the more I realize it's like super complex, but most people don't need the complexity that perhaps like you or I have in terms of understanding because they just don't care as much about it. They just want to lift heavy and they want to look good and those sort of things. So I think it's really useful as a coach to have that level of understanding through the whole process and through all of the constituent parts. And sometimes I think you develop that understanding by going down these rabbit holes of things like that. I mm. bought toe spreaders. I wear minimal shoes, um, those sort of things. And that's not cause I think it's going to make me the difference between me squatting 200 and me squatting 220. I think it's cause it's just an interesting concept and I like the idea, you know, and I think there's certainly potential for like improving the function of your foot and then improving movement quality at, upstream regardless but it's not the like you said it's not the red herring that's going to take you from a 100 kilo squat to a 300 kilo squat yeah yeah yeah. and i'm I'm not trying to um i'm not trying to sound too salty or say that there's no place for those things um it's similar to to how you'd view head position right it's like okay your knees are fucking touching when you squat your back looks like the sydney harbour bridge i know let's fix the head like, yeah, yeah. let's let's solve the bigger problems and then we can start to play with the minutiae because like you know uh something as simple as toe control, something as simple as understanding the foot and what it should do and how it feels and everything like that. I think there's always a huge positive in just control, body awareness, proprioception. I yep. think there's a huge, that's why I would say, you know, someone um, with an interest to learn sumo, even if sumo is not going to be their strongest lift, I, th- I think it's great to have that new skill and be yep. able to understand how to control your body in space. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of like skill application, not just in lifting, but in, in other, you know, hobbies and activities that you do that you can learn from just being able to control your body a little bit better. Oh man. Uh, it's where like rock climbing, I think has probably actually made me a better lift because it's given me an understanding of movement through several planes of motion that I just hadn't spent any real time moving in in several years. Hmm. Uh, I've been sort of rolling a a model around in my head uh, for a long time now uh, in a similar vein to your like three rules. But in this case, I talk about the idea of like capacity, sorry, connection, capacity and control Mm -hmm. the way around connection, control and capacity like you've got to build awareness first. You've got to know where you are in space. You've got to be able to recognize shifts in weight, changes in position, those sort of things. Once you've developed the connection, the awareness of it, then you can move to developing the uh, control through those ranges. Cause if I say, Hey, we need to think about doing this particular movement, but you can't feel where your arm is in space, then it doesn't actually mean anything to you. And once you've understood that, then you, only at that point can you, move to actually building capacity through whatever movement you're working on. And Mm. I think it's never a one way street. It's like a dynamic process where you're always working to improve your connection and your awareness of things. You should always be, I think developing a a new level of control or improving upon your control because that's all you know technique or technical skill really is right your ability to manipulate your body in space and i think a lot of people rush to developing capacity first Mm. Uh, and in a similar vein to like you were saying with the compound performance guys uh you can have an exercise where the goal is output and and capacity and then you can have an exercise where it's control and and skill development uh and i think understanding the interplay between those things as you go through your training career is really important and really useful regardless of whether we're talking about squats or anything else Uh, i think there's a lot of power in remembering that 
you've got to occasionally check in with yourself and, and reestablish some connection and some awareness through perhaps things that you're not always doing well. For sure. For sure. All right. So, um, let's, let's, let's hit this thing on the head knees in knees out. What does it all mean? Is, is knees in a bad thing? What do you think? What do you think when, or what do you say when people ask you that sort of stuff? Uh, so interestingly, this is another thing that I've, I've sort of expanded my view on recently. Uh, in terms of a powerlifting squat, you're really never moving to a point where there should be a really significant knees in moment coming out of the bottom because of the depth that you're hitting in, in terms of hip flexion in say like an Olympic Olympic lifting squat where you've gone all the way to like a full hip flexion because you've hit the bottom. I think at that point, there's actually some relative internal rotation of the femur that needs to happen to create the force that propels you out of that bottom position. But in terms of squatting for a, from a powerlifting standpoint, you're not really going deep enough through that relationship between the femur and the hip to actually warrant it. And so instead what you're losing is tension and, and sort of torque through the hip and therefore you're compromising your ability to uh, actually generate any power out of the bottom. So it's not that I want knees out and it's not necessarily that I want knees in. It's that I just want you to be able to control what your knees are doing so that you're not adding a whole bunch of extra movement to a, a movement that's already under a lot of load. And sometimes you're such a fucking nerd. Yeah, I know. I just hide it really well by saying fuck a lot <laughs> and drinking beer on the weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the knees in and out thing is, is, uh, is so funny. I think, um, you know, if you saw my post the other day about like, uh, and we've spoken about this endlessly about questioning everything and like mm. stopping and thinking about what you're actually saying and, and, um, figuring out what the assumptions are, that whole thing of like, is your knees keep caving in a bad thing? Our brain instantly goes to safety. Like, is it yeah. bad for your knees? It's like, no, no, no. What does bad mean in this context? For me, looking at assessing, uh, you know, strength output, looking at assessing primarily powerlifters, um, is the knees moving around a bad thing? It's like the question of what is it representing? And mm. what it's representing for me is slack somewhere in the system. And to me, any slack in the system is an opportunity for power to leak and to escape uh, and an invitation for some sort of injury to potentially come in. Uh, so uh, primarily, first and foremost, my, my goal with anyone is always power. It's always strength, right? Yeah. Um, when I get someone come to me, it's like, uh, their goal is not, Hey, I want to do the safest squat I possibly can. Yeah, like, yeah, no, exactly. I want to get strong. It's like safety is a byproduct of being in a great position. Um, so what does the knees in and out actually represent? Uh, well, we, we need to ask the question of what are we trying to achieve with it? If we're looking for uh, no movement in that plane, in that sort of horizontal plane, because that horizontal movement is representing a loss of power in the system. What we're really looking at then um, is if the knees are going in and out, that's some sort of representation of rotation. Uh, so if we're talking about rotation, we're talking about rotational force. We're talking about the word torque. In this case, I would say uh, internal torque. So if you just Google what torque is, um, it's like force around a rotational aspect. When you're looking at um, biomechanics and stuff, they might have an image of someone squatting or deadlifting from side on and talk, uh, talk about the torque around someone's hips and like the rotational axis of their hips. I'm talking more about like the 
internal torque from a rotational joint. So yeah. in English, think of your hips like a, um, like a shower mixer. You've got like the happy thing in the middle, which is your happy temperature too far. One way it's too cold. It's shit. It's bad too far. The other way it's too hot. It's shit. It's bad, right? We want a, an equal and opposite force from both directions to create stability in the middle and maintain stability at that joint while we go up and down. Yeah. Um, if anything, I would say I see more people end up, if we're talking about bad in the sense of injury or pain, more people end up with pain from over, uh, over, over talking outwards. So yep. external rotation. I was definitely abduction. one of those people. You, you end up with like fucking hip impingement. You end up with your TFL getting jacked up and all this pain on the lateral side of your knee. It's pushing your knees out too much is often more problematic than having them cave in. Mm-hmm. Either way is representative of like a loss of torque, a loss of power. Yeah. Uh, but it's so funny that, you know, so many people focus on the knees in probably because it looks funny, looks yeah, ugly, yeah. you know, yeah. um, but knees out is often uh, worse. So th- this is the issue, right? Knees in looks funny. Everyone cues knees out. Everyone shoves their knees out. Everyone starts pushing their knees out. People automatically go to uh, like more is better, dose response, more, yeah. more knees out is better therefore most is best no no no, no. you're gonna fuck yourself up yeah and also you end up uh like it's and we've we talked about this ad nauseum in that queuing episode but it's it's the wrong cue because it doesn't actually direct what the resultant movement you're looking for it's too far away from the result we're aiming for to be interpreted in a way that guarantees you're actually going to get the action you're looking for Mm. i've been guilty of like jamming my knees out but actually just like cranking on my tib fib and rolling to the outside of my foot and just seeing out with super fucking grumpy knees and hips like, yeah. yeah you haven't actually improved anything all you've done is just jam a bunch of shit into the wrong spot and hope to add a bunch of load to it yeah i mean like um it, it, when i watch my old squats uh that's exactly what i did and we all know what happened to my fucking hips <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, yeah, I would honestly, exactly. so I did that stupid fucking Guinness world record. That's legit how I squatted. I looked like a frog. I used to yeah. stand pretty close stance with my toes pointing out and shove my knees out as hard as I can. So, yeah. you know, you think I did over a thousand reps on that one day, let alone all the training leading up to it. That, yeah. that was a real recipe for cooking my hips. I reckon like that sort of squatting like that is what sent me down the path to having these issues. Yeah. Um, so what's your solution to the problem then? How do you teach that framework? Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Um, so just before I say how I teach it, one thing I wanted to 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 say as well is like with this torque relationship, when we're looking for torque between internal and external rotation, um, obviously it's a, a bit more complicated. We've got other factors like your feet on the floor. We've got uh, variables that we can play with. Um, but one thing you'll hear um, Jamie Smith uh, from Strength Culture say quite a bit, shout out Jamie Smith. Um, he, he uses this analogy of like, if your steering wheel is turned all the yeah, way yeah. to the left. I, I love this analogy. Know, if your steering wheel turned all the way to the left you've got no option you can't turn left right yeah. when we're talking about creating torque when we're talking about creating this equal and opposite force uh, we're looking for something somewhere in the middle right so when you crank your knees out as hard as you can uh, you now lose the ability to generate force in the other direction uh, as well because you've you know overstretched those structures and then what ends up happening is that when you reach a point which you will inevitably reach in the squat we cannot maintain that crazy external rotation abduction you're going to be forced to go in the other direction 
And now if you don't have talk, now if you don't have, you know, a generation of force from both directions, you're just going to fall in the only direction that you can go. So people who shove their knees out tend to fall in with their knees really hard. So yeah. like, everyone think of that person that you see squat, who squats down, the knees go out, they hit the hole, their knees cave right in, they push up, they cave in further, they get halfway up and then they go back out. Yeah, that's the perfect example of that happening in real life. Uh, but to answer your question, the, the cue that I use around this is like, my understanding is that what the knees do in space, what's the knee's job? It's a hinging joint. It just goes back and forth. So they're not going in and out. Let's stop talking about the knees. Uh, the feet are going to be the opposite end of the system to create torque. So the cue that I use for people to understand this is just twist your quad, quads away from each other enough to feel tension in your hips and hold that all the way down and all the way up. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't had, since I've started using that cue, I haven't had one person misinterpret it. Uh, I haven't had one person screw it up. Now that's not to say you use this cue and you magically fixed. You need to have the prerequisite mobility, stability to move through those ranges and maintain that. That's going to take some, some time to develop. It's not yep. just going to, this cue isn't magically going to fix your, uh, knees caving in or your hip problems or whatever you may have. Uh, but you know, that cue then sets the fundamental, uh, end point for all the other work that we're going to do to try and fix this problem. So that's, that's the cue I use. Simple as that. Nothing. Yeah, man. And that's, that's the thing. I think I've certainly been guilty of being the guy that was jamming the shit out of my knees. And I think I got away with it a lot because I spent a lot of time in a thick squat suit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I know now like the way I think about, my knees has completely changed because it's not no longer about like how aggressively can I shove them out that way. Uh, and I describe it in a very similar way. Like it's, it's not in, it's not out. It's about finding just a point where your knees kind of want to go and being able to hold them there through that range mm -hmm. rather than letting them move all over the shop. Cause like you said, it represents that leak of power through a system that should otherwise be fairly solid. Mm. I'm just finding a really old video of me squatting 200 it's from 2012 woofed so you that's can see. like gpc's first nationals yeah this was me training yeah this was after states this is me training for nationals um oh, i know no one's going to be able to see the video but i really want you to see it yeah i want to watch it <laughs> i don't care about anyone else since when are we doing this for everyone else I think if you looked any further up, you might actually just topple over backwards. Oh yeah. no, look down again. Wait, where are your feet? Oh no, wait, there's the roof. It's because I was very influenced by every Russian known to mankind. Holy fuck, Thomas. How good is that? Your knees actually touched the power rack there. <laughs> <laughs> that is impressive. Cool story as well. This bar and this power rack, I bought off this dude. Um, and this f f uh, started the the foundation of PTC Gold Coast. Holy fuck, your hips look so fucked. <laughs> How good is it? Oh man, this is what this is me squatting as well with my uh, like middle finger on the smooth. That's where I used to set my grip. Impressive, love it. That was great. I'm really glad I got to see that. That's really <laughs> been the highlight of my morning so far. That's good. Um, it's always nice to look back and see how far you've come. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's important to to highlight. You know, again, um, uh, being a coach in a position with some understanding around the the underlying biomechanics and everything like that. I just want to reiterate. You know, 
I don't want people to take away, oh, twist, Thomas said twist my quads away from each other and they go and do it and they hurt themselves or that it feels shit or it feels wrong or whatever. Like, again, if myself or John or other coaches are doing this, we're, we're playing around with so many other variables. We're looking at, okay, where do the feet go? What angle should the feet be at? What degree or what intensity of this like twist should, uh, should be imparted on this person? Um, do we need to give any more directional cues just to get people to understand? Like there's, there's layers to this shit, right? It's, well, it's context. Like, yeah. Every cue that you've ever given has a context and a story behind it. And if you don't, that's the problem with people being like, Oh, what's a cue for this? <laughs> it's that question is a dumb question mm. uh, because it doesn't take into, like, it's just not that simple. It doesn't take into account all of those factors that go into something as simple as twist your cords away from each other. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Um, then there's the whole thing of the pelvis. Mm-hmm. Butt wink. Is it bad? It's the worst. You'll Should. get uh, some form of lower spinal cancer and you'll die. Should you be winking your bottom? Uh, yeah. This from a guy who spent a very significant portion of my powerlifting career focusing exclusively on sitting my ass as close to several miles behind my shins as I could. Uh, I've had my fair share of winky butts. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I think is again, perhaps conflated with, a lack of understanding in terms of how you should be able to control your torso and pelvis and how they all relate to each other. But it's also probably overdone a little bit from a like injury perspective. And I think this is often the case with a lot of these things where it's like, Oh, you shouldn't let your knees come in cause you'll hurt your knees or you shouldn't let your butt wink cause you'll hurt your hips or your, you'll fucking blow a disc or something like that. And I think the evidence to actually say that that's the root cause of whatever injury you had is very minimal. Mm -hmm. Um, In this context, the important thing is that this discussion is framed around the idea of powerlifting and lifting the most amount of weight possible. Is it going to give you spinal cancer? Probably not. Is it going to be less efficient than not winking your butt? Yeah, probably does that then mean you can't put as much weight on the butt? Yeah, probably. Mm. Uh, and so that's sort of how I look at it rather than a like, Hey, you're, you're going to die if you do this. Mm-hmm. It's like, Hey, you're just not going to lift as much weight. And the whole point is lift more weight. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. It's like, is this movement representative uh, representative of <laughs> representative? <laughs> I was going to say representing, uh, rep- I don't know. Does it represent it? Does it? <laughs> Uh, all right that's the end of the podcast thanks for listening in a similar vein if you have a spare 90 seconds google uh benedict cumberbatch trying to pronounce the word penguin it's fucking hilarious oh i'm still doing that straight up I'll, I'll send you a link <laughs> um yeah what is it representing um and that movement is not representing a transfer of power into the bar um, exactly if anything it's representing the opposite um, in terms of lower back health, spinal flexion, lumbar flexion, under load is a recipe for eventually hurting your back. Maybe, you know, uh, we can't yeah. say definitively. Um, I think a, a lot of the times with this whole butt wink equation, uh, people see movement of the pelvis as spinal flexion. 
Uh, mm. Whereas if you watch enough squats, probably the most common uh, breakdown, the most common you know movement that shouldn't belong is beginning the descent of the squat by kicking your pelvis into an anterior tilt, so by arching your back. Wait, so a lot of this not how you start a squat. <laughs> Fuck, there goes the first six years of my powerlifting career. Arch, 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 back, 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 back. Take it. Take it. <laughs> um, yeah, so a, a lot of the times people will look at like kicking into an arch and then relative realignment of the pelvis into a, like a neutral spine position and be like, oh no, that's that's rounding your lower back where it's just like, well, it's not really. Uh, but there is definitely, you know, uh, times where someone will you know, go into a posterior pelvic tilt and round their back. But again, forget the safety equation. Just be like, what is this representing? Um, and if there is significant movement through the pelvis, it's representing that you're not getting dynamic stability either from your brace or your hips, uh, the muscles around your legs and hips or a combination of both. Yeah. It's a loss of control of the pelvis and that is a loss of force because mm -hmm. as soon as you lose control of any part of this system, you lose force and therefore you're not going to lift the most amount of weight. And I don't know about the rest of you, but that was certainly why I got into powerlifting was to mm. lift more weight than I am currently lifting. Yeah. Uh, and so it's about seeking ways that allow you to do that. This is where it gets a little bit murky though, because that concept is very easy to understand. Um, how people unwind that concept is where we run into problems. So people think, okay, uh, let's realign the pelvis. And then they start doing silly things. They start th doing things like tucking their pelvis under, trying to stack ribs and hips, doing this kind of stuff rather than using the processes that make that stuff happen automatically. When yep. you're standing at the top of the squat, when you're standing in kind of a neutral sort of position, you don't need to be playing around with where your pelvis is in space because if the muscles of your legs and hips are engaged in the right way, if your brace is engaged in the right way, they are taking care of that for you. Mm -hmm. So if you need to tuck your pelvis under, you're probably setting yourself up to disengage the part of your brace that is going to be very protective of your back and setting yourself up to fuck up your lower back. If you yep. need to try and arch your back, you're probably disengaging the part of the brace that's going to help you prevent yourself from going into anterior tilt and causing uh, problems with hips and uh, hip impingements and things like that. So um, I think uh, it's important to highlight that from an observational perspective, we want to see the pelvis in this particular position. From a practical pers uh, perspective, you should not have to think about where your pelvis is in space. No, exactly. That's my and opinion anyway. And I would argue, actually, from a practical perspective, you shouldn't have to think about almost every part of the squat. It should just happen. Unfortunately, the, the precursor to being able to not think about it and it just happened is thinking about it a bit. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes I'm so... ...in a way that productive process of just doing the thing and it, it kind of working itself out. Uh, so I think there's a lot of power in picking big rocks or, or the low hanging fruit and being able to say like, these are the one or two things I'm focusing on. And if everything else, like you said, if you tick those other boxes, everything else falls into place mm -hmm. and that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be about like, oh, I have to tick 28 boxes in order to be able to do my empty bar squat. You just get on the fucking bar and squat it and mm -hmm. you'll probably work it out. And I think this segues somewhat nicely into a discussion that I know we've had before about this idea of like uh, tension to task. 
the idea that like max tension all the time maybe isn't the best way to be lifting weights. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I know I was guilty of like, well, you should treat your empty bar. Like it weighs 150 kilos and your 150, like it weighs 400 and just fucking lift hard. And I spent a lot of time doing that and then got to a point where I was just so stiff and tight. I couldn't fucking move. Um, and recognized that actually tension pressure, whatever you want to refer to it as, isn't a binary switch. It's not like on and off. And actually your body's pretty good at ramping that volume up as you need to respond to the weight on the bar. And I think that's actually a more important skill than being able to just turn it on and off. I think you need to be able to create as much tension as possible at a maximum output, but you don't need to do it with an empty bar. And learning to moderate that tension and that intensity with which you approach the movement, uh, I think can be a very useful tool and ultimately improve your understanding of how you move and how you respond to things like that as well. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm uh, perpetually surprised by how, how much I find myself with clients talking about uh, loosening up these days versus the old days of like yeah, yeah. my Tied Thomas. Yeah, man. My like people know my mantra as like, if you think you're tight enough, you're not get tighter. Yeah. Uh, and I still say that from time to time, like th- there's definitely a time and a place for that sort of, that yeah, sort of without thinking. a doubt. Uh, but I, I was certainly right of the creed of like, get as tight as you can treat every rep. Like it's a fucking max move it as fast as you can. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm, I'm, I'm far less about that. And um, I think this is especially important with powerlifters, maybe not so much these days, but certainly of the era that we are from uh, and maybe even a little bit later than that, where that really was the focus where people yeah, really do. Like I say to, to one of these people, twist your quads away from each other and they are fucking like squeezing them yeah. out as hard as they can. The feet yeah, are going to yeah. fucking rip through the floor. It's like, no, 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 just enough to feel it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That the whole tension to task thing is really important uh, because my favorite ones are, 90-90 breathing, like shaking and like, to just relax. You're just breathing out. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be fucking max tension all the time. Yeah. 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 I see it a lot in like, um, I use a banded wall sit or I do so ass marches with people yeah. and um, I'm trying to just get them to coax them a little bit into, you know, aligning their pelvis by squeezing their abs by, you know, I, I use breathing to help that like breathe yeah. out to make your abs do the thing automatically. And people will still be like, and be like fucking earthquake mode. Like, yeah. Oh brother, relax. <laughs> yeah. relax. Yeah. It's, it's funny how the pendulum swings from one end to the other. And then ultimately like it's, it's settled somewhere in the middle. Yeah. 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 Um, you cut out a lot when you were, when you were saying, you know, that, that whole thing that you were just saying, but um, uh, the, th- the thing I loved is like, you know, the, the squat will kind of sort itself out. So the, the cueing that I use for the, the three rules of the squat, the bracing drill, I've spoken about it a hundred times on this, on this podcast, uh, but I go through a, a pretty simple breathe and bracing drill where you, you essentially try and push air out without letting that air out. Um, take yep. a big breath, try and push it out, keep trying to push it out, but don't let any out. Uh, that is the, I don't use AQ. I do that drill. And then I say, do that while you squat, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I'll run through a bunch of cues for the upper back. And um, I think uh, maybe that's a conversation for 
how are we doing for time? We're like Maybe that's five minutes. Yeah, I think that's probably a better, a, a nice place to leave this one. And then wait, I'm not, finished. More... I'm not finished. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to say the the upper back thing is probably a conversation for next time because then we can segue it into like dealing with arm pain and, and yeah, yeah, exactly what, what that is. Uh, but ultimately, once I've cued everyone the the three things, like here's what you do with your hands, your upper back. Here's what you do with your breathing, bracing. Here's what you do, twist your quads away from each other. They do that all at the top and then they just hang on for the ride. And it's just like, you don't need to think about where your hips are going, where your knees are going, what your feet are doing. You just set everything, you hold on, you go down and up. That is a squat. Yeah. That is a squat. Like if we had to cue everything, we would have to be saying, okay, once you get down to the bottom, push back up and come back up. The, the, someone who's done at least a squat or even not done a squat before uh, is going to intuitively know a lot of basic things just because their body is smarter than maybe their brain. Their brain. Yeah, yeah, like almost every time your body is significantly smarter than your brain. <laughs> just let it do what it wants to do. Exactly. So, yeah. But you're right. I think um, uh, we've, we've nerded out enough on that and we can continue with squat part two next time. Yeah, sweet. Sounds good. Excellent. Be really bad. Same, actually. Mm. Uh, and I have to account for the extra amount of time it takes to get the shoulder straps off my cycling shorts that I'm still wearing because I was running late. It's <laughs> like it's, it's like a soft suit, but with more nipples. It's great. Excellent. Love it. Uh, All right. Tell your friends. Give us reviews, etc. I don't know how this thing works. Oh, that's buy some coffee. Exactly. Goodbye. Goodbye.